there and you suddenly realize you don't know what you're doing. You ever had that experience? You get to a brand new job and you go, wow, what am I going to do? I really don't understand this job completely. When you're young, that happens a lot. When you're a young person, you'd have to depend on one thing. It's called on-the-job training. Anybody here have, ever have on-the-job training? On-the-job training? Take a look at it. O-T-J-T, on-the-job training. You see, being a believer in Jesus requires on-the-job training. Amen. in Jesus requires on-the-job training, and the church says, Amen. Amen. Do you know why? When you got saved, when you came to Jesus Christ, you had no idea what was involved in being a believer. Now, we can watch television, and if you watch TV, you think being a Christian is about jumping up and down, screaming, yelling, running up and down the pews, and falling down in the floor. At least where I come from in the South, in Texas, that's what going to church looks like. And it's pretty scary. I once invited a person to church. I said, brother, do you want to go to church today? He says, I can't go to church. I said, why can't you go to church? He says, I don't want to lay on the floor and shake and jump around. I said, well, what? What does that have to do with going to church? He says, I've seen church on TV. That's what it looks like. You see, we come to Jesus to save us from our sin. Amen? Amen. All right. But what does it mean to be, to live out the life of a believer? Let's take a look at this morning. To be a believer, to serve Jesus, to go through this on-the-job training, you have to make an effort. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3 is where we're going to start today. We're finally out of 1 Peter 1. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. The first thing you have to know about being a Christian or about going to work on the very first day of, of a new job, you have to get dressed for work. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, when we think about getting dressed for church, it's because your mama gets you up, says, comb your hair, wash that stuff out of your eyes, brush your teeth, and put on clothes that don't have stains on it. Amen? That's, that's mama's idea, getting dressed for church. Let's see what the Word of God says. It says this, 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. So, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Is the Lord good? Just say amen. amen. We have all tasted the goodness of Christ, the goodness of God in his salvation, in his daily work. Some of you, even this day, can testify that God is good. You wake up, you're not sure where you are, you're not sure what's going on, but suddenly there's a church. Suddenly there's a believer that comes into your life and everything starts to make sense. God brings you to this place where you encounter his power. Let's break this down. You see, getting dressed for a job, getting dressed to serve Jesus, is not just about what you put on. You know that, Ken? It's not just about how we dress. I don't dress this way during the week. You know, most people think that pastors live in, in suits and ties. We don't. We have shorts and t-shirts. Thank you, Jesus. We don't always wear socks with our shoes. Because it's not about what you wear. Sometimes being a believer is about what you take off, what you get rid of. Now, before you... Get dressed for school, which is going to be starting again, or has started for some of you already. You have to take off your pajamas, right? Right? There we go. Before you can put on your dress clothes, you've got to take off your pajamas. 
So look what he says right here. He says, rid yourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ is as much about what you get rid of as what you take on. Consider this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now that's not a sermon you will hear on most TV preacher programs. You know why? It doesn't sell books. But it says right here that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, that's party animals for you and me, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's an amazing verse. I was listening to a preacher this week, and he said, this is the pivotal verse for him in all of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, the entire book, for him, this is the pivotal verse. And such were some of you. Many of us, before we came to Jesus, were not the kind of people that we would hang out with right now. Brother Rich and I were talking earlier. When we talk to people about what it means to be in the world the reason that we can say that is because we were in the world. All these things that are said here, many of us know a lot about these things. We know about malice, about hatred. We know about deceiving and lying and pretending to be something that we're not. We know about hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy is from the Greek. It's the idea of an actor standing behind a mask. You see, there weren't that many actors in a play. If Ken were an actor in a play, he might be a man in this scene and a woman in that scene. But he would simply hold up the mask and you had to believe the mask to believe the play. How many of us in life go through pretending to be somebody that we're not? We pretend that we're good, kind, sweet, loving, gentle people. When at heart, sometimes we are angry. And we are frustrated and we are fed up with the world and we don't like the way we get treated and we really resent some people that are in our sphere of influence, right? That's the truth of who we were before we come to Jesus. Now here's the good news. Many of us still struggle with those problems and that's okay. That's why he is writing to believers. He says, you need to get rid of that stuff. The first step toward moving toward Jesus is get rid of the past. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The number one thing that keeps you from growing as a believer is you get stuck in the past. Satan tries to throw up your past in your face and make you believe you can't go forward. But you can. Because God is the one who forgives who wipes away the past. But Satan's going to throw it back up in your face. That's why he says to him, Peter says, look, just get rid of it. Push it out of your life. Let it be gone. For back to 1 Corinthians. He said, but such were some of you. But he reminds them, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. We have been forgiven. I want you to repeat after me. I, I have been, been forgiven. forgiven. Some of you said that and you don't believe it. Some of you just said, I have been forgiven, but you don't believe it. 
There's only two reasons not to believe you have been forgiven. One is you've never asked to be forgiven. The second is you have not forgiven yourself. Remember, God can forgive you, but Satan does not want you to forgive yourself. Satan does not want you to be free from that old lifestyle because that will set you free to serve God. You have to forgive yourself because Christ has already forgiven you. That's important. It's really, really important. So he says, put this off like a newborn baby desire the pure spiritual milk that you may grow into your salvation. When we were all baby Christians, I mean, I've seen baby Christians. They are voracious. When my daughter was born, she was hungry. Okay, nine months of just sitting there. That child was hungry. She was ready to eat. And I know every few hours, boom, there comes the cry. There goes the bottle. Dad's in action. Yes. Super father. I could throw bottles faster than anybody. Babies are hungry every few hours. As a young believer, you're hungry for the word of God. You want to know, who am I? What is God doing? What is God giving to me? I want to know. You know what happens after a while? We get fat. Not this fat, but, you know, we get spiritually fat. We think we know it all. We think we figured out the whole Christian life. I've been a believer now since 1980, so what is that? 31 years. I'm old. In 31 years, I have only begun to taste the goodness of God. I've only begun to understand his word. There's not a Bible study that I go to that I don't pull out my little pink pen. and Don't you laugh at a pink pen. And I underline things in my Bible that I've never seen before or never caught hold of before. So, so important. Consider Hebrews 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Milk is great for babies. When you were a brand new Christian, you needed to know what is salvation? What is sanctification? What is justification? Who who are you in Christ? And what is your reward? You needed to know that as a baby. But he says right here, y'all need to move on from that. He says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness Since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. I will warn you, don't come in here every Sunday expecting milk, okay? You're not going to get it. If we have a new members class, if we have a beginners class, that's good milk. I like chocolate milk, so I always put a little sweetness in there. So it's good. But in this place right here, y'all's grown people, you have teeth. It's time for solid meat. Things that are hard to chew on. Things you've got to kind of gnaw on and digest and deal with. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to the distinguishment of good and evil. As you are exposed to the word of God, you should become just as proficient as the pastor at dealing with the word of God. Isn't that amazing? You're supposed to be smart, as smart as me. Even smarter than me. Because God's prepared each of us with different talents. Let's move on. So first, the first part of on-the-job training, the first part of this new Christian life, is you need to get dressed for work. You need to put off the old man and put on that solid food, that good food, that tasty stuff that comes from the Word. Second, 1 Peter 2, 4-7 says this. You need to get to know your boss. Most important thing when you get a new job, 
You need to meet the boss. Hello, sir. It is so good to work for you. I will do a good job for you. And then you go play hooky and you're goofing off and you're surfing on the internet and sleeping at your desk. But then when you hear your boss's voice, what do you do? Oh, I'm working. Right? Not that way. Your boss is always looking. So he has to find out what's going on. Here it is. Verse 4. Coming to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God, speaking of Jesus Christ, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it is contained in the scripture, look, I lay a stone in Zion, the holy mountain of God, a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. Ah, so much about who Jesus is. Jesus wasn't just a Jewish carpenter. He wasn't just a man who lived in Israel from about 3 B.C. on. That's not just who he is. That's the outside. That's the superficial. Go deeper. Consider this. You are coming to him as a living stone. This is an action of your will. You desire to come to Jesus. When you said, I want to become a Christian, I want to believe, it's not just what happens up here in your head. Sweetheart, is what happens in your heart. It's what you do with the direction and the focus of your life. When you get married to a woman, she becomes the world. And can the women please say something? Amen. I'm going to give up on this side. When you get married, your focus comes not to all the beautiful girls, not to all your exes who live in Texas, but to the one woman that God has set to be your life partner. Can I get something on the bed now? There we go. That's the way it rolls. You are coming to her, and the purpose of this coming is to get to know her. Matthew 11 says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We come to Jesus to experience him. Now, the idea of putting a yoke or putting some kind of restraint on ourselves, that's not most, most people's idea of a good church. They want church to be fun and lively and active and screaming and jumping. And they want to be able to go in there and feel good, go home and live their life any way they please. That's not how it works. You try marrying a woman and on your wedding night, go out dancing with another girl. You know what will happen? They'll be burying you tomorrow. Because you don't make a commitment and then violate that commitment. You don't come to Jesus and then go to every other religion in the world to make yourself feel better or to have more fun. It's an exclusive relationship. And this coming is a continual coming. You don't just come to Jesus on the day you get saved. You keep coming. You come when you feel bad. You come when you feel good. You come when you are hurt. And you come when you are rejoicing. The best time to come to Jesus is when you are rejoicing. When things are good, when you can praise. That's what Sunday morning is. Sunday morning is praise time. It's time to raise the roof and lift up the name of Jesus. But it's experiencing this relationship, this exclusive relationship. 
Notice, this stone, this, this holy living stone, was rejected by men, but chosen by God. God put Jesus as the answer. Don't expect your friends to applaud you being a Christian. Do not expect your friends to like it that you believe in Jesus. You know why? Because they're going to want to go get drunk, and you can't. They're going to want to go run around, and you can't. They're going to want to lie, cheat, steal, and rip off their parents, and you can't. Make the parents feel better? Okay, hopefully. Here's the thing. The world does not live according to Jesus. The world lives according to its fleshly human appetites. You have to understand, you're in a war now. And the war is this. The world wants one thing, which is to reject Jesus. But Christ wants you to come to him, put the yoke on you. Put this restraint on you. The purpose for the, for the yoke is to guide the oxen as they work. To guide them and to keep them safe. Sometimes it's to steer them away from danger. Not just to put them in the field. It also leads them home. Think about it. The restraints of the Bible are to protect us. To keep us safe from doing the things that hurt us. Everybody here can testify, I know for a fact, everybody here can testify that every time you stepped outside God's will, you hurt yourself, didn't you? You wound up hurting yourself, your family, your relationships, your marriage, your children. Every time we take the yoke of Jesus off and we say, woohoo, freedom, we wind up hurting the people that we love. And that's what Christ wants to prevent by keeping that direction in front of us. See, now Jesus is the one who's doing the work. Notice this. We are being built into a spiritual house for a royal priesthood. The most magnificent structure in Israel was the temple. The temple sat upon the mount. In fact, if you go to the Psalms, there's what's called the Psalms of Ascent. As they would ascend or go up the mountain of Zion, you could see the temple gleaming white and gold in the Israeli sun. It was beautiful. And as they would see it at a distance, they would sing of coming to Zion, coming home to the place of God. And as they approached the gates and they would see the priests standing on the wall, guarding the house of God, their hearts would leap and they would sing. They had been through deserts and heat and dust. And here was the temple of God. Here was the place. Guess what? We don't have to come to the temple of God. We are the temple of God. And that's not because we study the Bible. It's not because we tithe. It's not because we speak in tongues. It's not because of what we do. It's what God is doing to us. You are being fashioned into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. Think of a stonemason shaping a rock. Taking a big boulder and cutting it masterfully, stroke by stroke, until it is perfectly shaped to fit into the place where the stonemason desires it to be. You are being shaped by what God removes from your life and the image he carves into it to be part of that holy temple. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into what? A better version of me? I don't think so. Is David going to be a better David when he's done? No, David's going to be a better Jesus. You're going to be like Christ. That's your image. Not what you have now, what you're going to be then. Into the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Such a ma- God does not want me to stay me. Thank you, Jesus. He wants me to be like his son. But that means he's got to cut on me, shape me, skinny me down, do whatever he has to to make me look like Jesus. And that means removing things from my life. Things that I enjoy 
things that I like, but things that are not good for me and are not part of me being like Jesus. I'll go on with it. I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored stone. Now, here's the thing. Ephesians warns us what Jesus is doing. Ephesians 2 says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We know what God is doing because the word of God tells us what God has been doing since the beginning. Do you know why we read the Old Testament? Do you know why? Because that tells us what God was doing then. And it's the same thing he's doing right now. We are all Jews by faith. No matter where you were born, when you come to the Jewish Messiah, you become a Jew built after the pattern of Abraham. Isn't that a blessing? So we should be all getting up in the morning. Baruch Atah Adonai, Elohenu Malach HaOlam, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Eh, it's good to be Jewish. I'm telling you. I got a friend right now that's going to listen to this, and he's going to call me and say terrible things to me. But it's okay, he'll get over it. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Remember, the cornerstone is first. Everything else is cut and fitted to the cornerstone. Understand that. When the cornerstone is laid, everything is cut to the cornerstone. It's the first. It's the pattern. We don't shape our lives to be like we want it. God has to fashion us to fit to that stone. So that we fit that wall, that temple, that building that he is creating. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God the Spirit. We all know this. God does not live in this building. God does not live in big Baptist churches in Raleigh, North Carolina. He doesn't live in any church. Where does he live? In the heart of every believer. God lives in you. You are the receptacle that holds the Holy Spirit. That is why you have to be cleaned. You have to be shaped. You have to be fashioned to be an acceptable receptacle for God. When you got baptized last night, that's just the public start of a walk with God. He is going to shape you into a vessel to hold himself. He's already in you. He's just making you right and proper for that spirit that you hold right now. Amen? It's good to be a vessel of God. Amen? I'm telling you, it's good to be baptized. Now let's press on. Last one. 1 Peter 2, 8 through 10 says this. You should note the blessing of inclusion. Right now, a lot of people in Raleigh, North Carolina, ain't got no jobs. And that's not a good thing. There's a lot of people out there desperately seeking work. If you have a job, you rejoice in your job, don't you? You may not like your job. It may not pay you enough. You may not get the respect and the love you deserve. But you've got a job. Amen? You are included. Right now, you are part of God's kingdom. You may say, but yeah, but I'm not a pastor. I'm not a worship leader. I'm not selling on the sound crew. I don't have a position. So what? You're being fit to the temple of God. You are the temple of God. You are included. Take a look at this. 1 Peter 2, 8 through 10. And a stone to stumble over. This is the warning for those who would reject Christ. And a rock to trip over. They, meaning the unbeliever, stumble because they disobey the message. What's the message they disobey? If you would please God, you must accept the one whom he has sent. And that's Jesus Christ. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
That's a good song, Marvelous Light. That's where they stole it from right there. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Can I get an amen from somebody? If you are sitting here today and you have the name of Jesus Christ, you are the recipient of the greatest act of mercy in history. And it's a mercy that can never be taken away, never be revoked. Once you are adopted into the kingdom, people, you can never be kicked out. And can I get an amen for that one? It says this. Now, not all people have accepted God's call. All of us have family that's not saved. We all have friends that are not saved. Consider this. Proverbs 3, 21, 22, and 23 says this. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life to your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. That is the blessing of accepting God's salvation. You will walk securely because the word of God tells you how to walk. You will not stumble because God tells you what to watch out for. All those things, pride, arrogance, jealousy, desire, lust, all the things that would trip you up. He has warned you to look out for them in the road. But now 419 says this. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. This is what amazes me. Watch all the people on TV, all the self-help shows, all the doctors so-and-sos and sisters so-and-sos, and they have all these wonderful shows to help you help yourself, right? Here's the problem. They don't even know what they're falling over. They don't know why they stumble because they can't see that it's Jesus. They think, well, I have low self-esteem, or my mama didn't praise me enough, I didn't go to the right school, I wasn't born in the right state or the right time. That's not the problem. The problem is you're a sinner and you're not saved by grace. You're not walking with Jesus. That's why you're falling all over the place. That's why you can't find the right direction for your life because you've never made Christ the light to your path. That's what it is. When someone that you have a friend and they say, I got this problem, this problem, this problem, you tell them, here's your problem. Jesus is not the light of your life. You're trying to follow your best thought, your best intention, your best hope, but that's not what's going to save you. See, we who have Jesus walk securely. Those without him walk in deep darkness. Anybody remember their life before Christ? I do. It was scary. Deep darkness isn't even the beginning of an explanation. We talked about the Exodus last night in Bible study. And they said that the darkness in Egypt was so dark, so visible that you could feel it. And they said, what does that mean? Is it like an eclipse? I said, no. The Bible says that the darkness that fell on the Egyptians was like a physical blanket that covered them up. They could feel the darkness on their flesh. It was a suffocating darkness. And that's the kind of darkness that people all around us are in every day. They are in the darkness of ignorance. They are in the darkness of without knowledge, with agnosia, agnosticism. Is that darkness that covers us and we don't know where help is until you bring the light into their life and show them Jesus. That's your job. You are to be a light bearer, one who brings light into the darkness. I'm going to wrap this up really quickly. If you go on down here, membership has its privileges. Amen. That's not just a credit card commercial. It's the truth. Consider this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Acts says this. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, God Almighty gave them their land as an inheritance. 
speaking of the conquest of Canaan, right? Who did the work, the Israelites or God? Okay, the Israelites fought, but who won the victory? God won the victory. He gave them the land. Consider Acts again. And now I commend to you God and, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. Here's God doing the work again. We have united ourselves with God. We have fallen in line behind Jesus. And he is giving us the privilege of inclusion, of being a member of the kingdom. Finally, in Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that's what happened when you came to Christ. Your, your heart grew eyes that could finally see through the darkness. That you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, which are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. You have an inheritance in this world that comes through Jesus Christ. That's why every day, no matter what happens, no matter what happens at work, no matter if you're fighting with your wife, fighting with your husband, fighting with your children, which I know never happens in this church, right? Just make me feel better. Okay, we never fight in our homes, do we? No. Okay, no matter what happens, remember, your inheritance is eternal life. Therefore, you can bring all that small stuff into perspective as you go forward. So, question. Are you ready for work? Are you ready for work? One, have you put away the addictions? That's malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Now, just slander, just see backstabbing and gossip as secondary. Have you put away those addictions? Now, we talked about addictions last week. These things, these behaviors of the old man, these are addictive behaviors. We get addicted to slander and, and malice and hatred and envy and jealousy. We get addicted to that. Have you put away those behaviors of the old man? If you have not put them all away, I encourage you to do this. When we move, we did cleaning on our house, right? You sort of throw away a lot of junk before you move. When you move into your new house, you know what you figure out when you move into a new house? You brought most of your junk with you. There's still more stuff to throw out, amen? When you get saved, you get rid of a lot of the junk, the drinking and the drugs and the women, or the men for some of y'all, because I know those stories. You put away most of it. Here's the problem. Everybody's got a closet in their house where all their junk still is. Everyone's got a closet in their life where all their junk still is. It's the stuff we don't talk about. We don't tell our husbands. We don't tell our wives. We don't tell our pastors, which you should do. I'm going to open a confessional over here. Y'all can come in. Bless me, Pastor, for I have sinned. I did this, this, this. I'll give you some penance. You'll be all good. That's like it's a Catholic joke. I'm sorry. Anyways, I just wanted to get y'all's attention. Anyway, so we need to put away those last things. Open those closets. Throw out the junk you've been dragging around since you got saved. Two, have you taken the time to get to know the one you work for now? Have you taken the time to get to know Jesus Christ? Apart from the name. Apart from the picture of the crucifixion, apart from a couple of the miracles that you... Have you gotten to know the person of Jesus Christ? That only happens when you study the Old Testament, you study the prophecies, you look at how Jesus fulfilled them, you look at what Jesus leaves us to do in the book of Acts, and how he continues to work in his church. Getting to know Jesus is like getting to know your wife. 18 years and I'm still figuring her out. That's because she's such a deep and amazing, wonderful person. There's just more to learn. Y'all better back up off me now. There you go. That's what I thought. 
Jesus is the same way. No matter how much you think you know him, there is more goodness and grace and mercy to know. Finally, finally, it says, do you, are you filled with gratitude for being chosen? Do you celebrate your salvation? Are you really celebrating the fact that you are saved? You are born again. You are a believer. I mean, you might wear a cross on your neck or you might wear a Jesus t-shirt. That's not celebrating. Celebrating is bragging. When my baby was born, it's like, can I show you my pictures? You know, 1,800 pictures, you know, of my daughter. See, look, they all look the same. When you have something wonderful in your life, you brag about it, amen? I've seen y'all's Facebooks, so don't say no. Okay. Jesus needs to be on your Facebook somewhere, because they should be bragging about him and what he's doing and where he's, what he's part of. If you have that, notice what it says. The whole reason God does this is so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the amazing thing about it. My challenge for you this week is tell somebody how blessed you are. Pick someone that is not a believer, someone that you don't normally witness to, and say, can I tell you how blessed I am? They're going to say, oh, please don't tell me about David. I'm sick of hearing about how wonderful he is. I go, no, it's not about David. It's about another, another man in my life. Then they'll go, oh, wait, what? Another man? And they'll listen to you, see? Now, every time my wife talks about how wonderful I am, everybody goes, oh, we've heard it before, so just stop. But she keeps going anyways because she loves me. And we should all be there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's the face. Yep. I'm looking over here now. No. <laughs> That's how we should be about Jesus. We should never be tired of telling others how wonderful, how magnificent he is. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for this amazing time. And God, I praise you that you let us be your servants. Father, you've called us from death into life, from darkness into this marvelous light of salvation. And Father, I ask you to pour out your blessing on our church today. Oh Lord, we just praise you for all that you've done. For all that you have done. And Lord, uh, this day just continue to bless in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have something special this morning.